Let's go to Matthew chapter number 6. I will make this note as well, actually. I forgot one. Uh, parents of teenagers, there's a meeting for you this evening after the service, just looking at this summer and what that means for your teenagers and, and what the plan's going to be. So we'd love to see you as well, uh, teen parents. So Matthew 6 is where we're at. We've been here for quite some time. If your Bible's anything like mine, it just kind of like opens right up to Matthew 6 now, and it's very easy to find it. But Matthew 6, we will uh, read the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, whatever you want to call it. And we're now at the end. We're kind of on the last phrase of this prayer. So Matthew 6, let's look at verse number 9. Jesus is speaking, and he says these words, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here we are this morning at this uh, really beautiful and powerful ending of this model prayer and to fully understand this ending, I think that we could ask three questions. And they're simple questions that you could probably answer just by reading the prayer. But here are the three questions that I want to answer this morning in light of thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Who has it? What is it? And for how long? That's basically what we want to answer this morning. Who has it? What is it? And for how long? Uh, before we jump into this particular phrase of the Lord's Prayer, I do want to address two things very quickly that may be questions that have been lurking in the back of your mind. So question number one is, uh, why is it, especially if you've had a, a Catholic background and you've prayed our fathers in kind of a robotic way, uh, why is it that some people pray this prayer but they don't attach at the end, and some of you are nodding your heads right now, you don't attach at the end this thought, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen. There's a simple answer and a complex answer. I'm going to just give you the simple answer because the complex one would take 20 minutes. So the simple answer is that uh, this prayer, this uh, teaching is also found in Luke chapter number 11. It's a different occasion, but it's when the disciples come to Jesus and ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them the same prayer, but he does leave off this ending, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it could just be as simple as someone is praying the prayer from Luke 11 rather than Matthew you chapter 6. And you say, well, why would Jesus leave that off? Well, I don't know. We'll have to ask Jesus when we get to heaven. It could be as simple as he just knew and assumed that they would know that because he had already taught them that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but that is, that's the simple answer. The bottom line is that that teaching of Luke would not invalidate Matthew and what Jesus says in Matthew, and that this is a model prayer, and this is extremely valid for us to approach, uh, to approach this at the end and to pray this. If you uh, like to study manuscripts and interpolations and things like that and want a more complicated answer, then ask me or email me and I'll give you that. Second question that may be floating in the back of your mind, and same thing, there's a simple and complicated answer to it, and I'll just give you simple this morning, is Jesus didn't say, in Jesus' name, amen. I thought we we're supposed to pray, you know, in Jesus' name, and that means that at the end you say, in Jesus' name, amen, not amen. So uh, the simple answer to that is praying in Jesus' name does not mean that you actually have to say the words in Jesus' name, amen. It, it, praying in Jesus' name is more of an attitude that I understand all of my prayers are based on the merit of Jesus and what he's done, to me, done for me, and I can approach God in light of Jesus, not necessarily just redundant words that you slap on the end of a prayer. Uh, so once again, if you want a more complicated answer, ask me and I'll give you the 20-minute version and go a little deeper than that. But 
In case those are lurking in, in your head, uh, those are some issues that, that people have had with uh, this prayer here. So here's the bottom line of this prayer. This is uh, extremely valid, exactly how we should pray and approach the end of our prayer session when you're working through the model prayer and you come to this petition. And something I'll remind you of that we've mentioned before is that if you look at this prayer, you see at the beginning of it, there's a word that recurs several times and you find the word thy. Verse number nine, you find <clears throat> that hallowed be thy name. Verse number 10, you find thy kingdom, thy will. And you find that there's this Godward slant to this prayer and to these petitions before there's an inward and a selfward slant. So Jesus is teaching that you, you focus on God and you make it about him and his kingdom and his will and his name before you make it about yourself. But then with this ending, really it comes full circle and you begin to focus back again on God and you, you realize that this isn't I focus on God so that I can focus on me. Really beginning and end, your book ended and you have the whole thing being about God, but in the middle you do insert some requests for yourself personally. So uh, understand that you, in this prayer, it's meant to all be God-centered. It's meant to all be about Him and to be in light of who He is and what He is. And I can promise you this. I can promise you that if you will pray through this prayer and you'll spend 60 seconds or 90 seconds or two minutes per kind of petition, and just dwelling on that in your own mind and heart and elaborating on that and just working through it petition by petition, phrase by phrase. When you get to the end and you get to thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, if you have covered all the rest of it, by the time you get here, your heart will explode in praise. This is something that as you've worked through these petitions and you come to this kind of grand finale and crescendo and conclusion, that this will be, it will be beautiful and it will be powerful and it will be something that is, that is so, that you look forward to in your own prayer life. I know in, over my life over the past couple months, if I, as I have begun to study this prayer and, and dig into it and pray through it more regularly, then now I, I supremely look forward to the very end and going to this phrase, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So let's answer the questions. In light of this phrase, Here's question number one that we need to answer, and you could probably answer it if you just read the text, and that is who has it? And Jesus teaches his disciples that it's thine. So before I list kingdom, power, glory, before I tell you how long it's going to be, before I list what this is, Jesus is going to remind them, here is who possesses these items. Here's who has custody. Here's who has control. Who do these items belong to? Well, thine. Who's thine? Well, we're praying to our Father. So this is the Father's. It's, it's his. He possesses it. And we understand that uh, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, would love to deny God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory. And he would love to subvert that. And he is a usurper. But at the end of the day, we recognize biblically that those are God's, that they belong to him, that he has the power. And frankly, this entire prayer would collapse upon itself if that word was not accurate. If you got to this, and this was not accurate, that God's, the Father's, His is the kingdom and the power and the glory, then everything collapses. Why pray that God would make His name great? Why pray that His will would be done in my life? Why pray that He would supply my needs? Or why confess my sins to Him? Why ask for spiritual and for physical protection and that He would deliver me from the bondage of my sins? Why do all of that? If he doesn't possess the kingdom and the power and the glory, 
So this is essential to the prayer to understand that this makes our prayer valid. This makes it, uh, it's not vanity, it's not futility that we, we get that this is the Father's. And he doesn't just have partial claim. It's not just that he has some stock in these items or that part of the kingdom is his and, you know, a portion of the glory is due his name. No, 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 no. It's I ask this, Father, because I understand this is yours, that you possess it 100%, full custody, total control. It's yours. It's all yours. And that is that helps frame our hearts and our minds to understand that this belongs to the Lord. So whose is it? It's the Father's. It's his. What is it? So there's three things that are specifically mentioned here by Jesus. Kingdom, power, and glory. Kingdom I won't dwell too long on because we addressed kingdom in the, in the sermon when we, were to, when we were instructed to pray, thy kingdom come. So if you missed that and you're wondering more about that, you can go listen to that sermon. But I'll remind you of this. Jesus' audience, these Jewish disciples, they are pre-programmed, baked into them, is kingdom theology, and they understand kingdom. They understand that there is coming one day future a kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign, where righteousness will prevail, where peace will be pervasive, where the lion will lay with the lamb, where sickness and disease will be ended, where, and that kingdom will be forever without end. And they understand this. And they're looking forward to this, and they are praying, bring this on, thy kingdom come, Lord, we, we want it. So they get this, but you, they circle back around to say, look, Father, we understand that this kingdom is yours. Now, this does challenge us as Americans, because we are, generally speaking, pretty fond of our governmental style. Our forefathers instituted a republic that was for the people and by the people, and we like that. We kind of celebrate that. We think that's a good thing. But that does stand in contrast to a kingdom. That stands in contrast to a king ruling and reigning, and God's kingdom is not for you or by you. God's kingdom is for him and by him. And he is sovereign over that, and the kingdom is his. It's not yours. You don't get to have elected officials and, and get to, well, God, my voice has to be heard and you have to listen to me. No, no, no. It's his kingdom. He possesses it. He has control over it. But then there's not just kingdom, but there's power. This word power is the, it gives the connotation of might or ability or strength. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. Literally explosive, dynamic, dynamite power is what this is talking about. And you say, what power? Well, through the prayer, we have really asked God to exhibit his power. It hasn't said it in so many words, but what else are you praying when you pray Lord, make your name holy and sanctify your name. You're asking God to flex his muscles a little bit for him to do something. What are you saying when you're saying, thy kingdom come, bring on the kingdom? You're, you're invoking a prayer and you're asking God to do something. What are you praying when you say, Lord, give me, my, give me my daily bread, provide my needs? You're trusting that he has power to do that. Lord, forgive us our sins. Didn't they ask Jesus in the Gospels when he forgave sins? Who has the power to forgive sins but God? And they were accurate. Only God can, and Jesus was teaching them that I am God in the flesh, which uh, he taught. So this is something that we understand the power is essential to this entire prayer, that the power better be his. The power better belong to God, and we are reminded here that we are utterly dependent upon this. And the power does not lie within ourselves and our ability and our wits and our strategy and our intellects or our volition 
but it, it relies on God and his power and him doing something. This is, this is really the rock-bottom basis for all of our prayer, that we come to God in faith that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, that God understands that you're going to reward or you're going to give. You have the power to do this. So as, as we come to prayer, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe that, that thine is the power? It's his that I understand biblically that God can open up the windows of heaven and pour me out a blessing if I trust, my, trust him with my finances. But at the root of that, what, what really is the connection of if someone does that or not is if you believe his is the power and he'll do it. We, we understand that our prayer lives are conditioned upon this, that it has to be his power, that if we're going to spread the gospel around the world, if we're going to make a gospel impact in the Toronto Heights or in the 15065 or the 15068 or Pittsburgh or whatever your zip code is, that that's only possible through the power of God. We, do you believe that God can meet your needs? Do you believe God can meet our church's needs? Do you believe that he could uh, pay off the mortgage on this place tomorrow if he wanted to? I do. I believe that all that we are seeking to accomplish as a church to, to spread the gospel and to do something for God and to see his name be made great and see people saved and his glory be put on dis- display for him to even save people this morning, I believe that that is strictly rooted in the power of God. That if someone gets saved this morning, we sang a moment ago that, that uh, an, an older hymn and part of it was, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. What in the world does that mean? It means that, that God looked on me and he made me alive. And my chains fell off and my heart was set free. That's only possible by the power of God. But I believe that God through his power can do that this morning. To someone who's sitting here, to you, if your heart needs that, to save souls and to set people free. And this is, this is something that we must be convinced of. That he has the power, and what that means is we don't. That he does, and we have to tap into that. And if, if there's any chance that we look back three years from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now, or fifteen years from now, and say, wow, look what happened. That is amazing. How did that happen? It has to be an answer of God did that. It has to be an answer of God put his power on display and God did something in my life and in my family and in our church. And we must recognize it is not our power, it's his. And some would say, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't just have a wholehearted trust in God's power nowadays. Church can't be done just as God said. Church, now there's many that would argue. You have to start importing, you know, American government principles. And we'll talk about that tonight, how no, that's not valid. There's a structure in the Bible, it's not American government. There's, some would say, you know, you have to start importing as many business principles as you have. Or, or just, hey, here's just a pessimistic outlook that, man, the night is dark. Our country is waning and morality is on the decline and people don't have a biblical foundation any longer and you just, man, you have to start with just there is a God. People aren't even believing that anymore and, and just it's difficult to share the gospel and, and da, da, da. you know what? That's junk. It's, it may be true, but it fails to concede the argument and the attestation and the biblical foundation that God has the power. That that doesn't matter to God. Does it matter in the sense that he wants people to be moral? Sure, certainly it does. But at the end of the day, you stack up whatever argument you want, or whatever pessimistic outlook you want, or however bad it is, or however dark it is, against the power of God, it doesn't stand a chance. Because God has the power. So we celebrate this as we come to the end of this prayer to say, God, you have the power. We understand that. 
You know, there's a, a movement that's gone on that God's not dead. I would take that so much further than that. God's, God's just God. God's not dead. God's not sick. God's not anything other than God. This morning, Andy is out sick, and we have a couple people filling in and doing music for Andy. You know what? God is not this morning. God's allergies aren't bothering him this morning. He didn't pop a Zyrtec like I did when he got up. Seriously. He's not frustrated. He's not wringing his hands. He's not out of power because he forgot to exercise yesterday. God is God, and God has all power. All power. And it would behoove us through our prayer lives, if we understand that, that so much of our prayer lives is about tapping into that. It's about getting that. It's understanding that I need to do that. And so if, if you, in your own life, if you are not tapping into the power of God through your prayer life, you're shortchanging yourself. You're more than shortchanging yourself. You're handicapping yourself. You're handicapping your family. Frankly, you're handicapping our church. We are meant to, through prayer, and I'll show this in a moment, to tap into the power of God. Jesus is someone in the Gospels that they're constantly amazed at him and they marvel at him because he teaches with authority and power. And rightfully so, because all, all power was given to him, things in heaven and in earth. So it was right for him to do that. But did you know that that power, that power of God that we celebrate can be shared with you? That you can in your life have the power of God. You say, what do you mean? That sounds like, that sounds sci-fi. You can tap into the power of God. Now, there are several ways that I could give you to do that, but the primary one is prayer. You say, prove it. Okay, I will. Thank you for asking. Acts 1. You find in Acts 1, right before Jesus sends, he gives basically his last words to the disciples, a verse that many in this room would, would know and they'd memorize. And he tells them that you shall receive power. Same word, dunamis, dynamite. Supernatural, poof, boom, power. You shall receive that power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. Go to Acts 2. You know what you find? There are people with power. Things are happening that you can't look at and explain humanly. You just got to say, God is doing that. Peter is preaching, and thousands of people are turning to Jesus. You go to the next chapter, Peter and John are walking into a temple, and this guy just gets healed. And everyone starts to gawk at him and be like, how did you guys do that? And look at him and tell him, look, don't gawk at us. It wasn't our power. It was God. So you find Jesus says, you're going to get power. And you find that they got power. So how did they get the power? Here's, I want to put these verses on the screen for you. Right after Jesus ends, here's what they do, and here's the key to their power. Acts 1, verse number 12. Then they returned into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, where Jesus just went up in the air from, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So it's not very far to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They were come in. They went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Verse 13, and all, these, and all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. You know what connects you can get power and they got power? A prayer meeting. Them getting together. Even corporately praying. We're going to do some of that tonight. I'm thankful for a biblical example where they got together and prayed together. They weren't all in their own little chambers by themselves. They get together and they pray, and that is the key 
to the power of God coming. So as we're talking through prayer and we're trying to understand the model prayer and what our prayer life should be reflective of and what our heart should, should want to ask the Lord for, and we come to this ending that, hey, God has all the power. We understand that we can tap into that. And I tell you, church, you must tap into that. I brought with me this morning, I'm not big on object uh, illustrations and lessons, but I brought one this morning just because it would be fun. So here is a toaster that almost fell on my face. This is our toaster. This is, uh, this is a great toaster, four pieces of bread. In case you have multiple children, this will get the job done. Price is right. What do you think this price? No, I'm just kidding. So this is, uh, this is our toaster. This is bread. It feels like it's toasted because I put the bread in there last night. It's a little bit hard now, but it's just normal bread. Uh, you're, a five-year-old could figure this out. It's not simple, or it's not complicated. It's simple. But I have the toast. I have the toaster fully functioning toaster, and I want, I want power so that something will happen here. And I push, and I push, and I push, and I push. I can get frustrated. What is happening? Why isn't this working? This stupid toaster, this is broke. Who made this anyway? Hamilton Beach, I hate those guys. I'm not going to buy their stock. You know, what's the problem? We all know the problem, right? It's not plugged into power. Okay, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out you're trying to accomplish something that you need power for, and you're not plugged into power. Okay? Let's connect it to you. You, your life. This is all that you do, all your Christianity. You come to church, great. Glad you're here. You come back to church tonight, great. You should. I want to see you. You come on Wednesday night. You read your Bible some. You may even fast some. You, uh, we go on and on and on. You do it all. But unless you have a prayer life, unless you are talking to God and communing with him, you're unplugged. And you're probably getting frustrated because you're trying and you're working and you're reading and you're studying and you're, you're listening. You got that podcast on and Word FM all the time. And I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do it. But it's, it's, you're not getting toasty. <laughs> your, your, fire is, your heart is not ablaze. And you're real frustrated. And the problem is your prayer life is dead. The pro- so don't don't shortchange yourself. Don't do all the work and try to live the Christian life without going and having a time of prayer with God. And come to church and pray? Good. Great. You should. Come tonight and pray some more with us? Good. Great. You should. But on your own, you have to start. And if you've started, up your game a little bit. You've got to connect to the power of God or it's not going to work. We've got to connect to the power of God, or this isn't going to work. It's centered and focal. The the focal point is we have to connect to the power. So in your own life, ask yourself this simple question. What does my prayer life look like? Do you pray five minutes a day? If not, could you? Could you pray ten minutes a day? Could you take the model prayer and work through it petition by petition and just spend 60 seconds on each petition? If you feel like, oh, well, my mind's going to wander and that's going to take too long, give yourself a timer. And when it hits a minute, roll to the next one. Just cut it and go to the next one. You know, it, it's, it's frankly not that difficult. But it is essential. Prayer is it's not a luxury. 
It's not a, if I have time, I sure would love to do that. I, I hope that you would love to do it, but it's not, it's not something that you can just tack on. It's not if I can get the kids figured out, then maybe I could squeeze it in here. Prayer is, I'm going to make a bold statement that I believe to be 1,000% true. It's impossible for you to be a mature follower of Jesus without having a prayer life. It's impossible. And that's important because the whole point of our church and the reason that we're here, the reason that we exist in our mission is to make mature followers of Jesus, to fulfill that great commission. So this is something that is imperative. I could not say it demonstrably enough. We have to understand that, God, it is yours, it is your kingdom, it is your power, and share it with me. I want to tap in. I want to be connected to the power source. Lord, would you make that manifest in me, praying with full-hearted assurance that it's yours to give. Kingdom, power, then there's this word glory. So what is it that's God? It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's his glory. It's the word doxa. It's where we get our, our uh, term doxology. If you've ever uh, heard maybe the doxology song, which is just essentially lyrics that are written to the praise of God. This is this glory. It's God, my opinion of you is the highest it possibly could be. You are, you are most exalted. You are magnificent. You are majestic. God, yours is the glory. And this is the true motive of our prayers. Our motive in praying should be that the glory all circles back around to you and that you get the credit for this, that, Lord, put your glory on display. Do something in my life. I'm asking you to, God, God, I'm asking you to protect me. I'm asking you to deliver me spiritually. I'm asking you to provide for my needs, but I'm not asking you selfishly. I'm asking you so that you could get glory, so I could give that back to you and understand that that's where it goes to you. And this is, uh, I've, I've touched on this several times here recently, so I won't belabor, belabor it, but this is something that's so integral to the Bible. I mean, you find the angels, they announce the, the birth of Jesus. What do they sing? Glory to God in the highest. You find that Paul writes several times that glory is to him forever. We're told that in everything we do, eat, drink, anything, it should be to the glory of God. We're told that one day Jesus will return in power and glory. And upon that return that we can be raised and that resurrection will take our vile bodies and we will be fashioned as unto his glorious body. We're told that in Revelation 4, Revelation 19, it's our great God who's worthy of glory and honor and power that's due his name. So we understand that the true motive for all of our requests is not selfish heap unto me, but it's the glory of God that, God, you would get this. And we understand that the model prayer is God-centered at first, then we make our own personal request, but it's rooted in at the end that we understand all of this is about you, God. All of this is about you, your kingdom and your power and your glory, and I want to give it to you. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Many people are fine with being God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. He's not. He's God-centered. He's most concerned about His glory. He's most concerned about you being concerned about His glory. You say, that's selfish. No, it's not. This is something that Johann Sebastian Bach understood. He would write at the bottom of each of his compositions. If you've ever studied or read something about Bach, you'd probably know this. He wrote SDG. And this was to remind himself and anyone that read his music or played his music that all of the composition was meant to be to the glory of God alone. SDG is a Latin phrase that is soli deo gloria. 
which means glory to God alone. This would be similar to Christmas. We sing the Christmas song, glory in excel she's day. You ever wonder, like, what are we saying? Well, you're saying Latin. And you're saying that Latin is, is essentially glory in the highest to God, is what you're saying. And Bach understood that this, is, this glory belongs to God, but he didn't just write DG, glory to God. He wrote SDG, that solely was in there, that glory belongs to God and belongs to him alone. It's all his. We don't get to share in that and say that, oh yeah, I did this and I did this and look at, look at my wits. No, the glory belongs to God and belongs to him alone. So who has it? The Father. What is it? Kingdom, power, glory. For how long? Let your heart be glad. Matthew 6, verse number 13 says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Evermore. Eternally. Without end. That all of this belongs to you forever. There is no expiration date on the glory of God. There's no shelf life on his power. He doesn't have to put some preservatives in his kingdom so that it will last a little bit longer. This is God's. It's his alone, and it is his forever. And we, we, we should celebrate that. We should love that, that here our immutable, eternal God now has kingdom and power and glory forever, that that is his, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And here, if without that, how could our hearts end in, in rest and tranquil repose, that we understand, look, God, this is yours, and here's what it is, and it's forever. It always has been, and it always will be, that, Lord, now I can rest in my loving Heavenly Father to know that all of this belongs to Him. And then it ends with this amen. Amen just means truly. We say amen around here a lot, and many don't even know what that means. It just means truly, or I agree, or so be it. It's kind of the stamp of approval that my heart is saying at the very end, yes, that's right. This, this is what, these are the petitions that I ask. Here's why I ask them, rooted in the kingdom and power and glory of God. So here it is, boom, I stamp it with approval. So we find in this really grand finale to this, to this model prayer that's meant to make our hearts burst with praise, that's meant to take us into high praise in our prayer lives as we end, we find yours is the kingdom and the glory and the, and the power forever, amen. How many of you have been guilty about running into God and, and making it so about you? I know I've done that a thousand times. Just bust right into heaven's doors. Like, God, I need help. In Jesus' name, amen. I run away. Right? And if, and if you're in a pinch, I don't think God's going to mind if you just run and say, God, help me, please. You know, that's, that's fine. It's appropriate. But our prayer lives, really, our true prayer lives, are meant to be rooted in, I approach my loving heavenly Father, understanding who he is, and God, here are some things. This is about you, and I'm concerned about you, and I'm concerned about your kingdom. I'm concerned about your will. And then in light of that, help me. Here's, here's the needs that I have. Here's the Lord. I mess up. I fall. Clean me up. I confess my sins. Lord, spiritually protect me. Physically protect me. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. And Lord, it's all yours. The kingdom and the power and the glory, it's yours, and it's yours forever, and I love that, and so I can trust in you, and I can celebrate that, and, and I end with this grand amen that, God, this is yours. We come to this phrase, and we learn that the kingdom of heaven, supreme power, ultimate glory, 
belong properly to God and God alone, so it has always been and so it will always be forevermore. And we can rest in peace and tranquility knowing that everything I just asked, it doesn't depend on me. And I can't, I can't do it. I can't forgive myself. I can't pick myself up. I can't deliver myself from the hand of the wicked one. I can't, I can't provide my needs. It's all, it's all God. It's all him. And I'm going to remind myself of that, that it's all you. The kingdom and the power and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful this morning that we can be reminded from your word of who you are and how big you are and how good you are and what our heart's approach needs to be as we conclude our, our prayer lives. And Lord, I pray that this would help us. I pray that we would be ever reminding ourselves that kingdom and power and glory is yours that we would celebrate that, that our hearts would trust in you because of that. I pray that this would push us to pray more, understanding that we need to tap into your power. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'd like to, just in a spirit of prayer, ask you a couple questions. First, I'd like to ask what is, I believe, the most important question that someone could be asked in light of the Bible, and that's, do you know that you're saved? You say, no, I'm saved. What do you mean? Do you know that, the, that his eye has diffused the quickening ray, so to speak, that his power has saved you, that you put your faith and trust in him for salvation? And you say, you know, I know I'm a Christian. I know that I'm saved. And it's not about me and what I've done. It's about God and what he did. And I would, I would not be ashamed to say that. I'd be willing just to lift my hand and say, you know, I'm a Christian and I know it. And I'll lift my hand and attest to that fact. And I, I thank you for raising your hand. And I, I love to see every Sunday that we're filled with, we all have that common denominator in Jesus Christ that he saved us. I'd like to ask the opposite of that. Some would say, man, I don't know that for sure. I mean, it sounds good. But I'd like to know that. But I don't know that I've been saved. I don't know that I've put my faith in, in Christ and that he saved me. I mean, that I'm not even sure that I understand all that. But, man, I'd like to know that. I'd like to know that I'm saved. I'd like to know that I can rest in him. I'd like to know that, but I don't. Would you be willing just to slip your hand up and let me see if it's you? I promise you I won't embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything or say anything. I would just like to see your hand and, and be able to pray for you that, hey, I don't, I don't know that I'm a Christian, I don't know that I'm saved, that I'm following Jesus, but I'd like to know that. Would you slip it up and let me see it? I'm amazed how, how every week there's people that that's their, that's their heart's cry that I don't know, but I want to know, and we'd love to, we'd love to know that. This morning, here's what we're going to do. We've, throughout the course of this prayer series, We've ended every sermon giving you three, four minutes just to pray there on your own and to take a petition and begin to give that to God and pray through it here in a service. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. I'm actually going to pray through this model prayer. I'm going to ask you there in your seats to pray with me. You say, what does that mean to pray with you? It means you engage your heart and you engage your mind. 
into, frankly, me just talking to God for a little bit. And in your own heart, as, as if I say something that resonates with you, and then you say in your own heart, yes, Lord. Well, that's our request. That's what, that's what we want. God, that's good. Amen. You, you kind of say that to yourself, and you engage with who's leading in a prayer. So I think it would be a good exercise, and I'd love to just give you a brief window, maybe even to my own personal prayer life, as this has affected me over the past couple of months, and just to lead you and a prayer through the model prayer this morning. So let's, uh, let's go to God before we continue with the service. Our Father which art in heaven, I am so grateful that I can come to you, that I can pray to you, that you're Father, and that you've adopted me, and that you've had so many in this room that would say, I've, I've been adopted as well, Lord, that you're our Father, that we can celebrate that and know the intimacy and the closeness and the relationship, but you're our heavenly Father, majestic and holy, and you're so personal, but at the same time, you're so beyond our comprehension. And Father, we approach you and we ask you this morning, would you sanctify your name? Would you make your name great? Here in our community, outward, Lord, would you in Natrona Heights and in Pittsburgh and on the mission field through our missionaries, would you, would you make your name holy, make it hallowed, may, may your name become less of a curse word and, and more of a connection and a celebration from people. Lord, I pray that through our lives, that people would be drawn to you and that they would see your name beautifully for what it is. I pray that through our church, that people would see that. Lord, and we tell you that your name is great and we love you. Lord, we say thy kingdom come. Bring on the kingdom. We look forward to the day where we will spend forever with you in the sin that we wrestle with and the, the disease and the sickness and the pain that at our core, we know we weren't meant for it, and it'll be gone. And we look forward to that, and we, we long for that. And until then, Lord, we say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, rule and reign on the throne of my heart. Lord, would you make the families of Harvest Baptist Church, and would you make this lot of land in Natrona Heights say? a kingdom outpost where your will is done and where you rule and reign and we submit to you. Lord, we say, give us this day our daily bread. God, we know that you have provided everything that we have in our lives and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And we thank you for that. And we understand that we can't glory in anything that all that we have in our bank accounts and in our homes and the clothes in our body and the mental aptitude that we possess, it's all from you. And we trust in you to continue to provide and we trust in you for the basic necessities of life. Lord, corporately, our church, we trust in you to guide us. We ask you for wisdom for myself, for our pastors, for our deacons, that you would guide and direct. Lord, we... We thank you that you have provided monetarily for us for decades, but we continue to trust and we ask you to continue pr to provide and 
Lord, we even say, this is your church and the bills are yours. And I ask that you would pay off a mortgage sooner rather than later. I ask that you would give us what we need. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, you know that I would struggle to publicly pray that in depth. But I pray that our people and our church would be a church that keeps short accounts with you. And that we continually go and say, God, I confess your word is right and I am wrong. And clean me up and help me. I pray that we wouldn't harbor bitterness and resentment in our hearts toward others, but that we would be dispensers of forgiveness and grace because you gave it to us, that we would turn around and give it back. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I pray for spiritual and physical protection on, on our church and on our families and on our people. Lord, we trust that any temptation or any trial that comes into our life is from your hand, and we, we accept that, and we, we know that, but we don't want it. We don't ask it. We're not gluttons for punishment. We ask you to spare us. We ask that you would tell the devil no often and that you would, that you would keep him at bay and that you'd put a hedge around us. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from evil, that we would stop trusting in ourselves and that I would stop trusting in myself, but that we would understand that deliverance is only going to come from you and trust in your power. And Lord, we tell you that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We know that you're omnipotent. We know that you have all power. And we don't. And we ask you for it. Lord, help us to reflect your glory. When the opportunity presents itself to be selfish and to claim that we did this and oh yeah, that's our strategy and oh yeah, we, we thought of that and that was creative that we wouldn't. Then we would say God did it. It's his grace and he's providing and that we, we give it to you. And Lord, I thank you that that's forever. That your power and your ability to help is not your hand's not slacked. You're not handicapped. You're not going to be. It's forever. And Lord, we ask you to, to put your glory on display, to flex your muscles and to do something here. And we trust that it's through you and only you. Father, we ask this not because we're special or not because there's any credit of our, of our own, but it's through Jesus and his his shed blood that we ask this and we say, amen.